the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Let's start today's episode with a quotation from the New York Times on March 10th, 1876. We'll just give you the headline here. Flesh descending in a shower, an astounding phenomenon in Kentucky, fresh meat like mutton or venison falling from a clear sky. Yum? (laughs) Yes, they said like mutton or like venison. But what was it? Hi, I'm Ben. Hey, I'm Noel, and uh, it's raining meat. Mm. Hallelujah. I was thinking it's the same rain thing. me. You were not. Yeah, I was. I was singing it when I walked in. Why you got to one up me, Ben? I'm not one up you. song. Now, you didn't even write It's Raining Men. No, it's true. <laughs> oh, but we are also joined by our super producer, Casey Pegram. And this is the first time the three of us have been back on the show together in a little in a little while, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it has been a minute. Probably like a like a month or something. Oh my god, that voice <laughs> <laughs> from the sky. Like 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 showers of meat in our mm-hmm. ears. Mm-hmm. Super producer Casey Pegram. Man, I've missed you guys. Missed you. I know. It's weird. Casey was in France for a while, mm-hmm. and then we were away, and then mm-hmm. I was away last mm-hmm. week, and here we are. Here we are, and we decided, now that the three of us have reunited after far too long, uh, that we were going to pick up our continuing mission to do an episode for every state in the United States. Uh, and we're going to hopefully succeed where Sufjan paused for a second. He just, I think it was a troll, honestly. I don't think he had any intention of doing it. He only made two. <laughs> well, maybe he's got a back catalog. It's been years. Maybe he's just really stuck on Rhode Island. You mean like a vault? Yeah. Like maybe Unreleased has... state records that no one's going to ever hear? Sort of like J.D. Salinger had all those uh, stories that no one saw until oh, after his death. I didn't know about that. Yeah. But hopefully a little bit different. Well, speaking of stories. Speaking of stories, Noel. We got one today. <laughs> we do. We do. So this episode will count for our uh, our Kentucky episode, right? 
And from this headline, you can tell that we're describing something pretty bizarre. You see, back in March 9th of, what did we say, 1876? That's right. Yeah. Back in March 9th in Bath County, Kentucky, there was uh, someone named Alan Crouch. This guy lived about two or three miles from a place we've seen alternately called Olympian Springs in the original New York Times piece, but then later called, what was that? It was Olympia Springs, so who knows? Who knows? Probably the people that live there, right? And Mrs. Crouch was out in the yard at the time. She was making soap, and then she looked around. She heard the, the pitter-patter of what she thought was, uh, you know, maybe the beginning of rain on a clear day without a cloud in the sky. And she looked around, and what was falling in her yard was not rain, not precipitation. It was meat. Yeah, in an event that would go down in history as the Great Kentucky Meat Shower, which is not some kind of crazy uh, mullet. <laughs> right, right, or a, or a weird euphemism. Also, I love the fact that they added great to the name because it implies that yeah. there were some other relatively mediocre yeah, there were meat showers. There had to have been some lesser meat showers. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what happened? What, why, why was meat raining from the sky? And it wasn't, it wasn't just like little pieces of meat. It was like all kinds of different sized pieces of meat. Yes, yeah. Uh, the ones that Mrs. Crouch saw were three to four inches square, so pretty substantial, mm-hmm. you know. And other people saw this too. It wasn't just Mrs. Crouch. And people tried to immediately figure out what this could be. And we have to remember that the people in this area at this time were well aware of other anecdotal stories of strange things falling from the sky. Rains of fish, for instance, you know, or, or a rain of stones, But these were often considered to be um, stories of old, you know, things you would read about in ancient texts. Is there anything in the Bible about a plague of meat rain? Surely there's some sort of supernatural-esque rain, but I don't think it's just straight-up meat, right? Well, there's frogs. Yeah, 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 frogs. Yeah, they, they, they will eventually become meat. I mean, if you're ambitious. Yeah. And here's the thing. Not only did other people see it, but two people in the area... Uh, got their gumption up, and they said, there's one easy way to figure out what kind of meat this is. Let's taste it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy um, named Harrison Gill who was nearby and who the New York Times article refers to as having unquestionable veracity. Mm-hmm. So he he spoke the truth, um, and he was seeing these pieces of meat, like, sticking to fences and all scattered every which where. And, yeah, he was one of the ones that decided, let's give it a taste. And um, it was kind of argued between some of the, the tasters, the intrepid sky meat tasters, mm-hmm. whether it was bare uh, or possibly venison, or a popular one was mutton. Right, because they described a slightly gamey taste to it, and mutton and venison especially can be gamey. I've never eaten bear. So. No, I haven't either, but I would assume it's super dark meat and, and <laughs> very, very gamey. Although mutton, to me, it would be the, the dead giveaway because, you know, lamb and, and any kind of meat like mutton has a very, very distinct taste. It doesn't yeah. really taste like anything else. So. Distinct is the is the correct word, I would think, there. And... I don't even know if it's legal to eat a bear. That just, I'm, I'm not living the kind of life where that's come up yet. What about you? Well, this is in the 1800s, so that was probably uh, the Wild West as far as mm, bear meat's concerned. That's a good point. That's a really good point. The first explanation from uh, 
a man of science at the time, comes from a guy named Leopold Brandis about, what, three months after the incident. He is able to get a hold of some of the specimens, or it looks like a specimen, but he gets some of it in a jar preserved or a bottle preserved in glycerin. And he starts poking around at it, and then he makes the declaration that while this may appear to be meat, it is not actually meat at all. Wait, what? Yeah, that's what he said. He said it was not, in fact, meat. Uh, He believed it was something called nostoc, nostoc. Oh, that's right. This is like a a plant-based organism. Yeah, yeah. It's a cyanobacteria that comes actually from the soil, from the ground. You can find it on moist rocks, bottoms of lakes and springs. It used to be called uh, troll butter or witch jelly back in Europe. You're joking. No, that's true. Those are amazing names for food products. I know, I know, I know. Troll jelly or witch butter? Troll butter, witch jelly. Well, I'm but fine. I think I'm either fine. one's I'm fine work. With flipping it you know, too. They're both evocative. This is great. I'm going to use those. Just, yeah. Just for, I don't know. I don't know why yet, but I love those. Yeah. I'm, I've, I've been thinking the same thing. In When this stuff is dry, it's pretty easy to miss. But when it's, when it's wet, it does have this jelly-like I guess you could say maybe meat-esque, meat-esque appearance. But Brandy said that it's pretty easy to identify the subject. He was, he was also, by the way, convinced this was true. The Kentucky Wonder is no more or less than Nostock. And people had known about the Nostock since the 1600s. I mean, that's how you get nicknames like witch jelly. But how did it, where, where did it come from? What was, his, uh, can, what was his idea about how this stuff made it up into the atmosphere and then showered down upon this relatively yeah. small area? It goes back to when it is dry versus when it is wet. So when this stuff is dry, it's so inconspicuous, people thought that it would float on the breeze until it rained. And then when it was raining, the Nostock would absorb the moisture and then it would fall from the sky as a jelly. Interesting. But that's not the only theory. That's not the only theory. That's not the only theory. Um, oh, we should also mention those other nicknames. Star Slubber. <laughs> I, I don't know. If I, I don't like, care for that one as That much. one feels somehow dirty. And then Star Jelly, which is still, I don't know, which is butter, which is jelly. Those are my picks. So he believed, Brandy's, of course, believed that this was the 100% absolute answer. But the problem is that for his theory to be correct, it would have had to have rained at some point, or there would have had to be at least some rain-bearing clouds in the sky. You know what I mean? Because the the Nostock would have to absorb this moisture. And there wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was a perfectly clear day. And this meant that there were going to be other theories. Like you said, Noel, what was, what was one of the other theories that came up? Yeah, this is a pretty gross one. Um, it was this notion uh, from a guy named Dr. A. Mead Edwards who believed that this meat stuff was actually lung from a, a horse mm-hmm. or possibly uh, an infant. Yes, a human child. Now, what's the deal with that? that there, there was a lot of – that is a lot of uh, lung meat. You have to have a lot of babies to make that much lung meat. I mean, we're talking like, you know, sticking to the fences, Ben. Right. Scattered across the ground every which Willy way. Willy-nilly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem, right? That explanation, it's even tougher to believe. But the, there is truth to it, right? They examined seven samples of this meat shower, and they confirmed, I believe, two of them to be lung tissue 
and three were muscle tissue and two were made of cartilage. So there was lung tissue in there, but how would it come from human infant specifically or a horse? And also how similar are the lungs of a horse and the lungs of a human infant? Apparently quite. Apparently distressingly similar. So what gives? People couldn't really answer that question, could they? They said they just said because it's lung tissue, we believe that it came from a human infant or a horse. But they didn't really explain how it could have gotten there into the sky, then onto the ground in Bath County. That's the thing. No one seems to be uh, looking for that particular solution. They're more like, what's with, what's the meat? It's mm-hmm. the mystery of the meat, not about how in the hell it ended up coming down from the sky. Right. That yeah. seemed like the the least of people's concerns. Which is strange, because it makes you think about priorities, you know? Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. 
Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. But again, there were more theories, right? Some more plausible than others. So one of my favorite theories that actually does try to take a look at uh, how this material could have managed to make it up into the sky and, and, and rain down upon these hapless people of Olympia blames this occurrence on a meteor shower. Hmm, do tell. Super meaty meteor shower. Um, So here's a quote from the New York Times uh, from William Livingston Alden. He wrote, according to the present theory of astronomers, an enormous belt of meteoric stones constantly revolves around the sun. And when the earth comes in contact with this belt, she is soundly pelted. Okay, he goes on to say, similarly, we may suppose that there revolves around the sun a belt of venison, mutton, and other meats divided into small fragments, which are precipitated upon the earth whenever the latter crosses their path. Help me unpack that, Ben. I mean, it sounds like what it says on the tin. Mm-hmm. So how likely do you think that is? Not very. <laughs> I actually saw another version of this theory uh-huh. that uh, said that this was like potentially like alien meat. So this is space venison? Space meat. And space venison. All right, space mutton. So that, that idea is fascinating. I don't know if it's true. I'm just going to say it. I don't want to be a pessimist. You know, I don't want to shut the guy down. What do you think? Oh, I mean, it's bonkers. You you don't want to live in a world with space venison? I don't know, man. I mean, it's not that I don't want to live in that world. It's just that I don't know that that world exists. Um, How do they get up there? I don't know. It was a real jump in this guy's uh, – he's like, so there's this thing called asteroids, an asteroid belt. So if there's an asteroid belt, why couldn't there also be a similar belt? Of meat. Maybe the guy was just very pro-belt. I don't know. I think he was high. (laughs) So speaking of high, there may be another explanation, and it's an explanation that involves animals, birds, your favorite. Gross. Your your favorites, bud. And (laughs) this explanation originally came from an old farmer in Ohio who, upon – learning of the meat shower, said, I have an explanation. It's not space venison. It's not, uh, it's not human lung tissue. It's nothing that you guys have said before. It is, in fact, something that I've seen vultures do in the past. He said that this deluge of meat was actually a disgorgement of meat from vultures who were flying too high to be visible from the ground. And some vultures can fly as high as like a little less than 40,000 feet or 12,000 meters. Jeez. So it'd be tough to see them. And he said that this was vulture vomit. And then a little bit later, a guy named Dr. L.D. Kastenbein, writing in the Louisville Medical News, said, yeah, I think the farmer's right. I think this is vulture vomit and... He obtained his own sample, and he lit it on fire, and he was like, ah, this is not just mutton, it's rancid mutton. Mm -hmm. And this made him believe that the culprits were vultures. They ate a dead sheep, 
and they flew off. But due to the weight of the meat they were carrying in their bodies, they were having a hard time flying. So they vomited in the sky to make it easier for them to fly. Well, this is a thing that vultures do kind of mm-hmm. on the reg. They'll unburden themselves of a heavy load of meat because, mm-hmm. you know, they eat this stuff raw. They also have really acidic stomachs, I yes, read, that's true. Um, to aid in this digestion. And so sometimes they're so loaded down um, from gorging themselves on, you know, like mm-hmm. a dead sheep, like you said, that they have to puke it up just to so they can fly properly. And some vultures even vomit on their feet to uh, regulate their temperature. That's disgusting. Vultures are filthy, disgusting creatures. They're very different. They're very different things. Have you ever seen them up close? Just on the side of the road. Yeah. I, you know I don't go for You don't stop? I don't go don't for pick up, up close a vulture. bird times. No, dude. Uh, do you know what a group of vultures is called? It's cool. There's, there's a different name for, for them depending on what they're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lay it on So uh, a, a group of vultures is a committee – Mm-hmm. A venue or a vault, which I like. Which do you prefer? Um, I guess it depends on what they're doing. A vault. Well, th- th- so then if they're in flight, they're um, a kettle. I think I've heard that one, yeah. And if they're feeding in a group, it's because the best one. It's called a wake. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. But what's a vault? A vo- it's just like I said. That's just general they're, they're, case. They're, they're interchangeable. Uh, a group of vultures can be either a committee, a venue, mm. or a vault. Do you know what a group of ravens is called? It's a, an unkindness, right? Yes, an unkindness of ravens. Yeah. So this vulture vomit explanation may not be particularly uh, enjoyable. <laughs> or uh, I don't know. It's It can be pretty disgusting, especially when we consider those two guys ate it. But it does give us the ability to conjecture a little bit about how the vultures came to vomit over Bath County. First off, vultures don't tend to fly of their own free will after they eat because they are digesting. So this means that something must have startled the vultures. We don't know what it was. Was it a sheep on a mission of revenge? Was it a farmer discovering the sheep and shooting at the vultures. Yeah, and this is coming from a great article uh, from Motherboard called The Mystery of the Kentucky Meat Shower by Kaylee Rogers. And she actually speaks to the vice president for field programs at the Wildlife Conservation Society, who says, uh, his name is Joe Walston. He says, if you want to take off quickly with a huge amount of weight, the first thing you're going to do is is vomit. Which I think applies to everyone. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> so I, I also pulled some vulture facts from this excellent book I want to recommend if you're ready for a deep dive into human vulture relationships called Carrion Dreams. It's written by a guy named Benjamin Joel Wilkinson. And as far as I can tell, man, he is just super into the history of vultures. And he describes vultures in folklore and mythology as well. You know, if you go back to the ancient days of history. And one of the interesting things is that when and where a vulture vomits is also considered significant. In certain cultures or folkloric events, it's a sign, which is neat, you know. For instance, here in Georgia, it used to be a common, you know, folktale belief that if you deeply desire something, all you have to do is wish for it as you throw a kiss at a vulture and your wish will come true. But you had to be careful not to speak to a vulture while it was flying overhead because if you did and it heard you, it would punish you by vomiting on you. No. So maybe— Is that really Is that really in there? That's really a thing, yeah. I'm telling you, Carrie and Dreams is a great book. It's also a very weird book. 
But so, if that's true, perhaps somebody spoke to a vulture while it was flying over Kentucky. Well, here's the thing, too. It's like this would have had to be a multiple, a, right? a group mm-hmm. puke session. A, um, a, a kettle. It'd a have kettle. to be the whole kettle. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the whole the whole kettle puking, uh, you know, en masse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in this uh, Motherboard article, they also speak to a guy named Kurt Goad, who's an art professor at Transylvania University in Lexington um, and a self-professed expert in, in meat showers. Is what he, said. <laughs> um, he proposes that this is definitely the most likely scenario that would have happened because all of the meat was different sizes. It Mm. came – so which would have made sense if it had come from different animals that were, you know, chewing and feeding on different carcasses or whatever and then ended up together. Uh, And they – couldn't exactly ever figure out what types of animal that came from, but it would have been from all different kinds. Mm-hmm. And they, there was some, you know, cartilage and lung material in there as well. So it certainly was a mixed bag of meat. And and here's the thing. We don't know exactly how much meat actually fell. We don't have a measure of, you know, X amount of tons or this many pounds. Instead, we have What's the phrase they use in most of the news at the time? They say it was enough to fill a horse wagon full. And for most people these days, that's not a it's not a very easy rule of thumb kind of measurement, right? Totally. So there's there's a defense that Kurt comes up with in this, or Dr. Goad. He says that in 1876, if you said, oh, it was a horse wagon full of meat, that was the equivalent now of saying it's like a big gulp from McDonald's. So his argument is that horse wagons were ubiquitous enough at the time that most people would have a rough idea of what that size meant. I'm trying to picture it. I'm sorry. I'm picturing this this wagon full of meat. That's the thing. Is That's it, a lot. Is it a wagon to carry horses or is it a wagon that horses carry behind them? That makes a difference. Oh, that's true. And I, I guess I'm just picturing one of those standard uh, – Wagons with the little slats on the side that mm-hmm. would be pulled behind a, a horse. Yeah, where somebody sits up you on can that sit up bench in, there. in the yeah, front. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So either way, that's a distressing amount of meat <laughs> to fall from the sky. What do you think? Is the mystery solved? Well, I mean, with the most logical explanation being vulture vomit, I wonder how those townspeople felt about having, you know, snacked on some of that stuff out of curiosity. I think, yeah. at, I think at the time eating raw meat wasn't quite as – you know, frowned upon, or they weren't really worried about foodborne illnesses so much. I think, yeah, and I, I believe the idea was that one wouldn't get sick if you just tasted it rather than, you know, consuming a large amount of it or a the amount that would be equivalent to a meal. This certainly wouldn't have been like, oh, free food. From, <laughs> I don't know, from, man. From heaven. Yeah, manna. It's, yeah. it's not a meaty manna situation. Yeah. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with Naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? 
Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. There is a question here that we have for you, ridiculous historians. Which explanation do you think is the most plausible or which do you wish was the true story? So we've got, let's see, we've got uh, human flesh, we've got Nostock, we've got uh, space venison, space meat, we've got a, uh, a curse from a vulture, and then of course we just have a panicked vulture, a panicked kettle of vultures attempting to fly. I'll tell you, man, my favorite, my favorites personally are either the space venison or the vulture curse. You are all about the space venison. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what people say about me. I guess we should add there are a couple more details that we can add to these theories. One, in terms of vulture behavior, is that, you, have you ever seen those episodes of South Park or, or Family Guy? It's on so many comedy shows, this trope of one person throwing up and then everyone's seeing them throw up and then they throw up as well in reaction. Oh, God, yeah. 
Yeah. So vultures really do that. That's the thing. When when they are flying in a group, huh. if one goes, they all go. See, this is this has got to be the answer. Right. This doesn't invalidate a vulture curse. It may mean that the vultures vomit swarmed on them, cursing everyone in the town. So I guess the moral of the story, if that theory is true, is don't talk to vultures while they're busy. I, I wouldn't go anywhere near the ugly bastards. <laughs> we had some more details, though, on uh, is it a whole new theory or is it something to add to? Well, I was trying to find a little more information about this uh, supposed meat meteor shower, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's really not a whole lot out there. It's, it's, it, it all kind of comes down to that quote about how there may be a uh, belt of venison, mutton, and other meats uh, divided into so- small fragments uh, that are revolving around the sun, which is bizarre. But there's another one. Uh, the woman, I believe her name was Mary Crouch, uh, mm-hmm. who was making soap. Yeah. Um, she apparently initially was scared that her husband uh, and son, I believe, mm-hmm. had been sucked up into the sky and shredded and eviscerated by an angry god and then mm. rained down upon her uh, in, in retribution. For what? Soap? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Just being a sinner? It's an angry god up there, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever read that original uh, sermon? Yeah. Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. It's a wild one. We should do an episode on that. We should. We should. Actually, I have a lot of that. I have a lot of the work from that time. But for now, we believe that we have solved, to a great degree, the mystery of the Kentucky meat shower. But we didn't do it. We, well, I say we as the human species. There you go. There you go. Yeah, whenever people say we, they usually mean in a global event like the human species, right? I agree. I agree. And I, I, I thought of a better musical theme for this episode, actually, better than It's Raining Meat. What is it? Red rain is coming down. Red rain is falling. Which is a totally useless Peter Gabriel song to me, mm-hmm. but completely useful in this context. Well, you're welcome, Peter. And what better note to end our show on today? Thank you so much for listening. Let us know, if, especially if you happen to live in this area of Kentucky, let us know if people still talk about this strange event in 1876. And if so, what do they say about it? And have you heard of any of the lesser meat showers mm-hmm. of other locations? I'm very interested to hear that, yeah. Uh, Or have you heard of any other extraordinary stories of things falling from the sky in your neck of the global woods? If so, let us know. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, especially on our one of our favorite places on the internet, our Facebook community page, Ridiculous Historians, where you know we see some cool stuff. Stuff happens there. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a it's a it's a place. Uh, in our hearts and also on the internet. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to describe it. Additionally, we'd like to thank, as always, super producer Casey Pegram. I would like to thank Alex Williams, who composed our theme, our research pals, Christopher Hasiotis and Eves Jeffco. And I believe, Ben, we have a new member to the the Ridiculous History Research team um, as Christopher and Eves kind of move on to start working on some stuff of their own. Yes, thank you to Gabriel Luzier, who, uh, funny story, used to also work with Mental Floss. That's awesome. I love that man. We're happy to have him. Yeah. So that's it for today, but stay tuned for next time when we reveal... Wait, 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 wait. Did you hear that? You know I heard it, Ben. I was going to just keep going. It's time, gentlemen. Jonathan Strickland, the (laughs) quister. You really leaned into that one. Well, it's been a long time. I have to... 
it has had to make up for for lost time. It has been a long yeah. time, and although we are um, sworn nemeses, mm, I just yes. want to check in real quick. How how you been doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Kids are great, uh, you know. Uh, just like kids in general are just great. Just in general, yeah. I don't have any children <laughs> myself, uh, but you know they seem to be going to school, and I I understand that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, things are. You know, uh, things are fine. Did they learn about the Great Kentucky Meat Shower in school? Or any of the other showers that are implied by that title? Well, in fact, we're going to be exploring a shower of our own, my friends. Get in the shower with me, my buddies. No. Come on in. (laughs) Uh, Okay, a shower of the mind, at least. The weird animals are just fine. Now, listen, we know. Mm-hmm. That I am part of the most cringeworthy segment in all of podcasting, in which I, the quizster, show up and I pose a scenario to the two of you, and you determine whether or not it is actually representative of a real thing what happened in history, mm-hmm. or I done made it all upsies. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You get three minutes. You can discuss amongst yourselves for three minutes. Your can we ideas. phone a friend? Can we can we rope Casey into this? No, maybe? if you had friends, you could in fact phone them. But I know for a fact that's, you are friends. That's hurtful. Mm. We're not friends. Are you kidding? We're oh, that's all oh, right. Are, I see. I always confuse this. Okay, yeah. okay. But uh, in addition to that, you also add one arbitrary rule. Right. So that if you wish to ask any question uh-huh. to me, you must first obey a rule of arbitrary nature that I make up typically two minutes before I come in here. Okay. And and you have to do that in order to ask a question. I will tell you what that rule is after I have given you your scenario. All right. You know what? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling all right. Noel, Casey, I think we got this. I will, uh, I'll give you the scenario. Okay. I will give you your arbitrary rule. And then time will begin. At which point I will vault over to that gigantic grandfather clock. You'll whisper, pull the pull cord, get the diesel engine out. going. Yeah. yeah. yeah all right. All right. It gets really fumey in here, by the way. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Here's your scenario. In 1402, in Shropshire, England, locals were perplexed by what they described as a rain of worms falling upon the village in what amounted to thousands of worms covering the entire area, including the rooftops of several buildings. The odd weather was met not with superstition and fear, as we'd usually guess, but with a sort of bewildered amusement. However... This historical event would later be immortalized by none other than William Shakespeare, who fudged the date so that it happened more than a year later on the eve of the Battle of Shrewsbury, which features in Henry IV, Part 1. In Act 4, Scene 1, Harry Hotspur Percy, the leader of a rebellion against Henry IV, says... Yester-een, they do say that worms fell as though rain. Fortune is so disposed to us that nature herself turns against this pretender king. In the mid-19th century, when Shakespeare's plays became more popular, Shropshire began what would become an annual tradition, a festival day celebrating the reign of worms. It happens every year on the second Saturday of April. And your arbitrary rule is you must quote Shakespeare any Shakespeare before asking me a question. Begin the time. I'm taking a run for it and we are... Okay, we're good! Uh, You've made worms meat of me. Hmm. You have a question, Noel? I I do, I do. Um, 
I don't know. I just wanted to quote some Shakespeare. I don't really have any questions. That's fair. That's a good good quote. Very well. I bite my thumb at you. (laughs) Romeo and Juliet reference. Go ahead. Okay. So uh, this festival, Mm -hmm. what's the name of it again? It is known as the Reign of Worms Festival. And it is? Second Saturday of every April. In your story, it's ongoing. It is ongoing. In your story. It is ongoing. (laughs) Casey, what do you think? Oh, just for so, so. Wait, wait, we're letting Casey come into this. I now? asked you that earlier, yeah. and you ignored me and said I had no friends. Well, so for we're, every we're for everybody listening, what happened when you heard that dead air and those pauses between the Quister and myself? Uh, I was staring at him to uh, read body language, somewhat unsuccessfully. All right, Casey, what's what's your take, man? Oh boy, see, I hate this because whenever you and Noel are not in agreement on something, I'm going to be the tiebreaker, and I'm probably going to get it wrong most of the time. I don't know. We usually tend to be on the same page pretty quickly. No, no, you do rock, paper, scissors every time. <laughs> so? We've got a we've got a shtick that works, man. But that means that you're at opposition with one another. If you were in agreement, you wouldn't have to do rock, paper, scissors. That's what... You can only really do rock, paper, scissors with friends. <sighs> I don't know I if you have you so a lot of much. friends, Jonathan, but I if you have friends and you play rock, paper, scissors. Okay, look, we're at a minute 20. I, I, I kind of think this is true, but I could be completely wrong, or it could be from a different Shakespeare I'm just, play, or I don't that's know. That's kind of how just, this works, yeah. though, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just skeptical that they're uh, of the—initially, I'm skeptical of a festival built on worms, because people in general aren't wild about worms. Oh, you interesting. Know what I mean? Ah, Ben. I love like, um, Wow. Okay. This 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 one's taken the longest because usually we we've nailed something down by now. We're at fifty seconds. I'm gonna say not real. <laughs> you know what? I'm tempted to say the same thing just because it was so detailed. You want to lock it in? Let's lock it in, and you'll come back if we. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. False. 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 Sorry. Hmm. No, that's hmm. how we're doing. <laughs> You're correct. Yeah! yeah! Oh. There was no rain of words <laughs> in 1402 in Shropshire, England. I made up the line from Henry the Fourth, Part One. There's there is a line that does say that uh, that fortune is disposed to us, but Hotspur says it in a completely different context. There's no festival of the rain of worms. Uh, it's a, it, I, I would think I would have heard of this. It's a little Lovecraftian, it's just from the branding. It's England. You probably wouldn't have heard <laughs> yeah, about that's it. Fair. I had I had prepared an explanation or description of the festival, but uh, you 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 had sussed it out so early that I didn't have a chance to. Where does this further? Where is the it. count now? Where does this put us? Uh, you're getting a little closer. I want to say that maybe I'm one or two ahead. Honestly, it's been so long that I just uh, declared myself supreme winner of all things for all time. Hey, I've got an idea. You mm. should uh, you should come back. Oh, so you want to have yet another matching of wits? Oh, that's that's a strong word. I just I thought I would give you another chance to do a little better next time. <laughs> uh, I'll go and count them up if you want me to. I'm pretty sure I'm at least one or two ahead. But uh, it is on like the Donkey Kong, Mr. Bolin. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, no, we got a win. We did get a win. Sometimes you just need a win. And thanks, Casey. Thanks for thanks for intervening in there too. That was really cool. I I, I appreciate that you believe in me, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> so this concludes our episode, but not our show. Stay tuned next time when we explore the strange, hilarious, somewhat disgusting, definitely ridiculous method that scientists use to trace the path of the Lewis and Clark expedition. It's the smell test. 
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Hey there, parents and teachers. Are you tired of feeling like every day is a battle of wills with your kids? Let me tell you about something that changed the game. Love and logic. Love and logic isn't just another parenting or teaching strategy. It's a mindset shift that empowers you to raise responsible, respectful kids while keeping your sanity intact. With Love and Logic, you'll learn practical techniques to set limits with empathy, give your kids the tools they need to make smart choices, and build relationships based on mutual respect and understanding. Love and Logic stands behind their methods with a one-year money-back guarantee. Try it out risk-free. If it doesn't change your life, we'll buy it back. Plus, you can get 10% off with code IHEART10. So if you're ready to say goodbye to power struggles and hello to peaceful, loving relationships with your kids, it's time to give Love and Logic a try. Visit their website or call today. Your sanity will thank you. Love and Logic, because parenting and teaching should be a joy, not a chore. Visit loveandlogic.com. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.